0: Howdy, howdy folks, I am Father Fred Gatch, and you are tuned into the double Sword program here on the Divine Mercy family of Catholic radio stations, KMDG 105.7 Hayes, KJDM 101.7 Lindsburg Salina, KRTT 88.1 Great Bend, and where it all began, KVDM 88.1 Hayes. And on the double Sword program, we are cutting to the heart of a deceptive culture. And today, as we are always trying to cut to the heart of a deceptive culture, I thought we would try to maybe look at the final judgment as it relates to business and economics. I think sometimes we look at the final judgment and we say, well, that's coming a long way off, either because the end of the world is at some time that I don't know when it is, or maybe I just don't think I'm going to die for a while. And so we figure, well, you know, I can put off thinking about this, but I think that one of the hallmarks of the Christian life is, is that we've always, you know, we're kind of straddling two worlds at once. We have one foot firmly planted on the earth because we deeply care about what goes on here. We want things to be right. We want things to be charitable. We want um, people to have as much joy and happiness as they can in this life, knowing that there still is no way around. The pain and the suffering that we all must face at one time or another. And at the same time, we have another foot planted in eternity where we're we're going. You know, we know that um, as Christians, we're just passing through these parts and that we're not going to be here forever. And so the first thing I want to do, actually, this is the teaser to keep you to hanging on to the second segment. In this first segment, we're going to talk about the particular and the general judgment and what that's all about. And then what I really want to get to is a word that's been thrown around a lot. Um, Pope John Paul II liked this word a lot. But I think that when people hear the particular word, unless you really understand the context that it's coming out of, you kind of go, well, that's one of those nice churchy words. That's a nice religious word, but it doesn't really apply to me. Well, I think that what we're going to find is once we get to this word again, which I'll get to in the second segment. We're going to find out that this word does apply. It applies to all of us in a very profound way, in the way that we deal with one another, um, whether my the other that I'm thinking about is either somebody at work or somebody on the other side of the world. So um, we'll get to that here in a little bit. But for now, let's talk a, bit, a little bit about the particular and then the general judgment. The particular judgment, actually, I'm just going to cheat here, and I'm just going to get it to you right out of the Catechism of the Catholic Church. And this is paragraph 1021. And it says this, Death puts an end to human life as to the time open either to accepting or rejecting the divine grace manifested in Christ. That comes from 2 Timothy chapter 1 verses 9 and 10. In other words, at the moment of our physical death here on earth, then there's no more chance to either accept grace from Christ or reject it. Basically, you know, you've got your hand and you got to play the hand that you got. The New Testament speaks of judgment primarily in this aspect of the final encounter with Christ in His second coming, but also repeatedly affirms that each will be rewarded immediately after death in accordance with his works and faith. The parable of the poor man Lazarus and the words of Christ on the cross to the good thief, as well as other New Testament texts, speak of the final destiny of the soul, a destiny that can be different for some than for others. And again, if we look in the Gospel of Saint Luke, chapter sixteen, verse twenty-two; Luke twenty-three, forty-three; Matthew sixteen, twenty-six; two Corinthians chapter five, verse eight; um, the letter of the Philippians, chapter one, verse twenty-three. And Hebrews 9.27 and 12.23, we find a number of references there that tell us that we are going to be rewarded for what we did in this life. The whole idea of salvation by faith alone, it just don't cut it. It's not in the scriptures. Then in paragraph 10.22, it says, Each man receives his eternal retribution in his immortal soul at the very moment of his death. In a particular judgment that refers his life to Christ, either entrance into the blessedness of heaven through a purification, that means purgatory, or immediately, that means for someone, for example, that dies a martyr's death, or immediate and everlasting damnation. So, we can see then... That we have the, the, in the particular judgment, we're talking death, judgment, heaven, and hell, the last four things. And that um, these things are things that we definitely need to keep in mind that this is, you know, what what is awaiting each and every one of us. And so at one and the same time, hopefully we have a very deep faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. It is only through him and through the merits of his cross that we have any hope of ever attaining everlasting life. At the same time, our Lord has also told us in many, many places in the scriptures that we are judged based on what we did in this life. You know, and again, the gospel of St. Matthew, um, Jesus says, behold, the son of man is coming with his angels and he will give to each man according to his works. And there is that word again that old Marty Luther didn't like too well, but sad to say it's in the Bible and also then in the book of Revelation. Towards the very, very end, you know, Jesus says, behold, I am coming soon and my reward is with me to reward each man according to his works. And so we have that particular judgment. And what is the particular judgment? Again, the catechism just tells us very clearly that one day each of us. When our heart stops beating and our, our lungs stop pumping air, when we are dead, at the moment of death, at the instant of death, we appear before Christ, before the judgment seat of Christ, and there we are judged for what we did. We are judged according to our works. And that is the particular judgment. Then there's what we call the last judgment or the general judgment. And in paragraph 1038, the catechism says this. The resurrection of all the dead, of both the just and the unjust, will precede the last judgment. This will be the hour when all who are in the tombs will hear the Son of Man's voice and come forth. Those who have done good to a resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to a resurrection of judgment. And again, the catechism there has come, quoting from the Gospel of St. John, chapter 5, verses 28 through 29. Then Christ will come in his glory and all the angels with him and before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate them one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats and he will place the sheep on his right hand and the goats on his left. And then he goes, this is the the part from the gospel of St. Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 to about 45 or 46, where Jesus tells the story. I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was naked and you clothed me and so on. And the folks say, well, Lord, when do we see you hungry? When do we see you thirsty? When do we see you naked and clothe you? And so on. And Jesus says, as long as you did it for the least of my brothers, you did it for me. And so you guys go off to eternal life. Then he'll turn to the other ones. Depart from me, you accursed, to the fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you gave me no welcome. And they're going to go, well, Lord, when do we see you hungry or a stranger and not take care of you? As long as you neglected the least of my brothers, you neglected to me. And then he says, and these will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. So it says there then that, you know, again, we have this this, um, this this particular judgment and a general judgment. Now, I don't know how much of a novel reader you are. One of my favorite novelists is a Russian named Fyodor Dostoevsky. One of his masterpieces that he wrote is called The Brothers Karamazov. And in The Brothers Karamazov, one of the main figures in it, is a Russian Orthodox priest named Zosimar and Zosimar basically what what the brothers karamazov is is um uh, old Dostoevsky was a pretty smart guy and he wrote this novel and I I'm, I'm pretty much convinced that um he wrote the novel so that he would have a way to um he could you know invent these characters and then put the various sermons on life that he had in his head and he could put them in the mouths of these various characters. And the thing that makes the, the the novel such a such a masterpiece is that it really explains to us or it gives Dostoevsky a chance to explain to us his philosophy on human nature and what he thinks human beings are like and what motivates us and and things like that. And as he goes through his story, one of the things that he talks about is he's um with, with the priest Zosimar Zosimar is talking about, again, the final judgment. And in this final judgment, he's saying that, well, what's going to happen? That there will be this particular judgment at the, time of, at the time of the end of our lives. And then at the end of the world, there is the general judgment. At the particular judgment, I am judged for the various things that I did in the flesh, as you know the Bible says, whether for good or for evil. At the general judgment, the whole human race is judged. And this is quite a, quite a deal because only God could pull this off. Because by the time, if the world even was to end today, you know, there's what, 7 billion people on earth today. This doesn't count all the souls that have gone before us. But even if the the world was to end today, God would have to balance out in a way that only God can do it, you know, probably what, 12, 13 billion variables in that everything that every person did is going to be judged and, hung and, and judged in the balance of the activity of the entire human race over the whole span of human history. And again, when you think about that, you know only God could do it. And so when, when we die and we have our particular judgment and we're judged for the particular things that we did, that I think makes pretty much sense to people. That's not really that hard to understand. But the final judgment at the end of time where the entire human race is judged, and in fact, someplace else in the, in the, in the catechism, it just says that you know this is when God finally puts an end to the rebellion that there has been against him by all of humanity ever since the apple core hit the bushes, as they say, during the time of Adam and Eve. And so the, this, this final judgment, the general judgment, is the one where all of us are going to be judged as a whole, where the whole human race is judged as a whole. So there are these places then where Zosimar that is talking to us and he's telling us that At the end of this general judgment, then the whole human race is going to be judged. And like I said, only God is the one who could pull this off. But we will be judged, for example, you know, in space and time. We will be, you know, for example, if the world comes to an end right now, God will judge me and he will judge you as to how we affect our brothers and sisters right here in our very own home, in our very own workplace. He'll also judge us on how we affect the people in I don't know in Russia and China and India and Guatemala and Brazil and places like that. God's going to judge it all, as only God can do. General judgment we can see then is something that's it's really quite mysterious, and it's something that we'll all have to face at the end of time. And again, as Osmar says, that general judgment will be the judgment as to how how I fit entire cosmos and the entire you know cosmic history of, of salvation of everything. And so it really, it's kind of quite a remarkable thing to think about now. The thing Thing it is. I said that we were going to talk then to somewhat then how this all um, feeds into the into business and economics, and then we were going to there's a, there's this word that we'll get to after the break, and it'll we'll see how this word kinds all this together as, as Pope John Paul II did, Pope John Paul II did for us. And I think we want to look at our, sector, for example, as consumers. So when I look at myself as a consumer, when I go to the store and buy something, also when I look at myself investor. You know, maybe I have some extra money that I'm going to invest in the stock market or whatever. Uh, maybe not everybody has stocks, but everybody does consume. And so let's look at our patterns as as consumers. What do we do? Well, you and I both know that when I, when we go to the store as consumers, I want to find, you know, I look for the, for the, for that product that's going to give me the maximum quality at the minimum price. Okay. The highest quality at the lowest price. Now, you know, that balances out, you know, example, you know, I may be looking for, I don't know, maybe a blender, right. And maybe there's a, you know, a really high end um, brand name, brand name blender. And, um, you know, the, from the wizard Bang Blender Company, and everybody knows these blenders are the very best that money can buy, and you can only buy them at the specialty cooking shops. And you know, one of these blenders costs three hundred bucks. And you know that if you buy this blender, you are getting this, but it's also three hundred dollars. Or you you can go to you know one of the discount stores or something and you can you know get a you know get another one made by you know black and decker or something like that, and you'll probably get a pretty decent blender that'll give you a pretty decent service for you know 20, 30 bucks or something like that. Well, you know, we know that as consumers, you know, the quality is out there if you want want to pay for it. Most of us don't. And so we go for the cheaper thing, which is all okay. But what have we done? You know, we've in our own head. We've said, well, you know, this is what I'm willing to spend. This is the quality that I'm willing to pay for. And we make the decision based on that. On the other hand, we also know there's probably, you know, some, you know, piece of junk special. I can probably get a blender for eight bucks and it's probably going to last, you know, for the first two or three times I use it and it's going to fall apart. And so I probably won't spend, I'll, I'll spend, you know, more than the eight, but less than the 300. And again, the people that make this stuff and the market, this stuff, they know what we want. They're not stupid. They've done their market research. And so they're going to they're gonna tailor us based on what they know that we will buy. Now, here's the deal. Everybody always goes on these imported goods that we have. And we ask ourselves, well, you know, why do we have so much imported stuff? Well, just kind of think about this. What if you win? You know, one of the things I think that whenever people think about imported goods, you'll always people always think about shoes, all right, especially athletic shoes. You, know, you can get your little Nikes or your Reeboks or whatever, you know, your tennis shoes, your Adidas tennis shoes, and um, you pull the tongue out of it. When And you look in it and it will have the size there. And it'll also say, you know, made in China, made in Vietnam, made in Malaysia, something like that. Right. And everybody always gets kind of upset about that. People will sit there and say, oh, you know, this is terrible. You know, I have to buy these shoes that are imported. And I know that my shoes were sewn together for probably 10 cents an hour by some teenager who should be in school. And instead, you know, he or she is, you know, working in this, you know, cruddy factory somewhere to make make um, shoes to ship out all over the world so that we can have our shoes at a reduced price. Well, I think all all you have to do is ask yourself a very simple question. You know, what if you had, you know, here in Hayes, there's I don't know the X Y Z, um, you know, sports apparel store. Just call it that. You know, the the sports apparel store. And you go in there, and they say, okay, we are going to give the consumer a choice. When you go into that store and you walk in, it's like a, there's like a huge mirror reflection. There's the stuff on the left side of the wall and the stuff on the right side of the wall. On the left side of the wall is all made internationally by the lowest bidder. They go around the world and you. They they, try, they find places where they can sew the shoes or the shorts or the shirts together at the lowest possible price. You know, they bring in the, the most possible price and they get sewn together and say there's a certain pair of shoes and the shoes cost, you know, $55, say. But on the other side of the store, there's the same exact products. Every one of them replicated down a stitch. They're the same exact products, only they're made in American factories by union labor, making, you know, good wages and benefits and they're, you know, a safe air Condition factory, you know, and things like that. And so again, you have this certain pair of shoes, you know, pair, certain pair of Nike tennis shoes, say, and, um, and they cost 55 or $60 or whatever, um, when they're made in China. And how much do you think that same pair of shoes is going to cost made in America by American workers making American wages and benefits and things like that? You know, probably 200 bucks. All right. But there you have in front of you, there's your choice. You can make the decision. Are you going to buy, you know, the cheap Chinese one? And again, both the shoes are identical quality. Um, are you going to pay 50, you know, $60 for them, we pay $200 for them. And I think the thing of it is, most of us would probably have to shamefully admit that I'm going to go in and I'm going to say, well, I'm going to spend $60. I'll let the next guy come in and spend the $200, right? Well, the thing of it is, of course, that make these products, they know that's exactly what react. And that's why they don't even give us that choice because they know that we're going to come in and what are we going to do? We are going to do what consumers do. We are going to maximize what we get for our dollar. I'm going to try to get the highest quality at the lowest price possible. All right. So that's what we as consumers do. Then there's the stockholder. There's the investor. You have someone that wants to invest in the Nike corporation, right? And so they come up and they say, well, hey, okay, I can, I have X number of dollars to invest in, in the stock market and I could invest in ExxonMobil and I could invest in oil. Um, I could invest in retail. I could invest in manufacturing, whatever the case might be. And so I tell myself, well, well, you know, where should I invest my money? I'm going to look for the investment that's going to give me the highest dividend or that's going to give the, the stock prices. Is going to appreciate at the greatest rate every year. Isn't that what I'm going to do? And so what if I, you know, again, I'm kind of picking on Nike just because everybody knows the name, but it's, you know, it's anybody. I mean, you could you could apply this to the, the Goodyear Tire and Rubber Company. You could, you know, apply this to the pharmaceutical companies. You can apply it to any company. It doesn't matter. But that basically, what do we want from all these companies? As consumers, we want the lowest price and the highest quality. We want that balance. You know, we want a balance between, between price and quality. The higher quality and the lower price, the better. Then we come in as investors the investor comes in and says i want the highest dividend you know i want the, you know the 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 stock to pay me a nice juicy dividend every quarter and so i want the highest dividend and if the stock doesn't pay a dividend i want that stock to appreciate every year i want it to be worth more next year than it is now the year that i bought it and so you look at what we're doing to these various some companies what are we doing to them we're telling the companies as consumers i want high quality and low price i'm telling the company as an investor i want a nice a, a good return turn on my investment. Now, the only way that's going to happen is for the producer to be able to somehow get their costs way down so they can keep their profit margin up. Now, I'm going to take a little detour here on the whole idea of profit margin. There's a lot of people, for whatever reason, seem to think that the word profit is a dirty word. And when you go through and look at the at the, the church's um, social teachings, which um, goes back to Rerum Novarum in the 1800s, um, that was written by Leo XIII, I believe it was, as a response to pollution. one of the things that the Pope... In writing about the the various in, in on, on social justice and treating the economy and business and things like that, the popes have never said that profit is a bad thing. Everybody knows that there has to be a profit. The, the, the business has to be able to operate profitably. If it can't, it goes business, and when it goes out of business, it takes a bunch of jobs and other people's welfare and 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 you know their lifestyle with it. And so we don't want to see that. We want this to be profitable. And so that being the case, you know, when, you know my point on this particular show, it seems like there's a lot of people these days that whenever a company makes a profit, you know, that there's something wrong. Everybody thinks that somehow if if a company made a profit or if an individual, you know, risked a bunch of their own capital and put up a building and hired a bunch of people and started, you know, making a, you know, manufacturing a product or providing a service. And if this person made a profit in some people's minds, that that's a dirty word. Well, it's not, Um, you know, profits are necessary, Companies have to operate at a profit so that they can expand and hire on more people and provide more goods and services and so on um, that makes all of our lives better. So you're just seeing Know where I'm coming from and where it's coming from, we're not saying that making a profit is a bad thing. In fact, it's a good thing. It's a necessary thing. But then getting back then to the position that the free market capital kind of pushes the companies into is, again, there's the investor and there's the consumer. And then you have the, the business owner or the company trying to satisfy the, the consumer again. What do they want? I've said it a couple of times here. I'll say it again. What does the consumer want? The consumer wants the highest quality at the lowest possible price. Highest quality could also include quality. Quantity. You know, we want the most bang for the buck. To put it as simply as I can, the investor wants the highest rate of return on the investment, and so the only way that the company can do this, or the only way companies can do this, is they have to keep their costs low. And one of the ways to keep your costs low is to have your good or you know, have your good manufactured in a place where the labor costs are lower than they are, for example, here in the United States. Now, again, we can look at that, and we can get all upset, and we can you know we can shake our fingers at Nike, and we can tell these big businesses what horrible people they are for going over, going overseas and exploiting um, you know poor workers and so on and you know that, that's a legitimate complaint but then we have to ask ourselves all right if i'm really so upset if this really so rankles me that you know again i'm i don't i don't want to make it sound like i'm down on nike but again everybody knows the nike brand and everybody knows that you know nike tennis shoes and a lot of the nike sportswear is, is made overseas and so everybody's going to sit there and shake their fingers at nike and say oh you bad people you know you go over and you exploit all these poor people just so you can maintain a profit. Well, okay, that you know, if you want to go with that, we can stipulate to that. But then also, I think we have to ask ourselves in as consumers, if Nike was to give us the opportunity, if Nike was to say, okay, if this really bothers you that much, we're going to quit manufacturing things overseas and we're just going to make them here in the good old USA. And again, we're going to pay American wages, American benefits and so on, health care, vacation time, pension, all that kind of stuff. And what you used to be able to buy, you know, a pair of Nike tennis shoes that used to cost you a hundred bucks, is not going to cost you four hundred bucks, and are you going to be willing to pay that? And probably what would happen is we would say, well, those Nike tennis shoes have just gotten so expensive. I'm going to start buying Adidas now, and then why? Because Adidas still makes theirs overseas, and you can get them for hundred dollars rather than. First. And so again, hopefully we can see here a lot of what goes on and a lot of the complaining that we do about um, about these businesses and their business practices. It's all driven by us, the consumer. It's driven by we the we the invest consumer. You know, that are going up and and buying these people's products and buying, buying their goods and services. We're the ones that drive them into that particular, into that particular position. And so I think that's the first thing I think that, that kind of needs to be just talked about up front is that, you know, there's a lot of people, uh, you don't have to listen very long or, you know, if you, if you read the print media, not very many people, not very many people do that anymore. But if you um, read the print media or you listen to the radio or, you know, you watch the TV news and things like that, you don't have to wait very long to find someone who's upset about the way someone's being treated somewhere. You know, people will sit there and howl and moan because oh, well, you know, this company, they do business in country X because there you don't have the environmental protection agency breathing down your neck and they can pollute that country like mad while they make their product. Well, you know, that might be true. But then I think we have to ask ourselves the question, why are they doing it? And again, I believe and it is, I don't think you have to really think into this too far to figure out why they're doing it is because of we the investor and we the consumer. We drive them to it. We want lowest possible price, highest possible quality and quantity, and we want the biggest return on our investment. So that's part of the problem. Now, the deal is there is kind of a solution to this. And like I told you at the beginning of this segment, I was going to tell you what that word was after the break. And so we're going to take our little break right now. And so when we come back, we'll talk about the solution to this as Pope John Paul II explained it to us as to how we kind of get past all this mess. So that pretty much does it for the first half of the program. We'll take a little break now and hear from the folks. Folks that sponsor our programming here. So everybody sit tight and we'll be right back. Hey, gang, we are back, and I am Father Fred Gatchett, the Vicar General for the Diocese of Salina. I'm the rector of Sacred Heart Cathedral in Salina, Kansas, and also part time religion teacher at Sacred Heart High School, also here in Salina, where I teach sophomores Old and New Testament. And you are tuned into the Double Edged Sword program here on the Fine family of Divine Mercy Catholic radio stations, KMDG 105.7 Hayes, KJDM 101.7 Lindenburg-Salina, KRTT 88.1 Great Bend, and KVDM 88.1 Hayes. And on the Double-Edged Sword program, we are cutting to the heart of a deceptive culture. And we started off in the last section. Well, the the, the name of this, of this whole installment of Double-Edged Sword is Business, Economics, and the Last Judgment. And last time we talked about the last judgment, on the last part of the segment, we talked about the last judgment, about the individual and the general judgment. In the individual judgment, that's where we are judged, or something's called the particular judgment. We're judged right at the instant of our death, that we appear before the judgment seat of Christ and we receive our judgment, heaven or hell. Um, purgatory is included in that because purgatory is in one-way it into heaven if you make it into purgatory people do not flunk purgatory and go to hell if you make it to purgatory you're eventually getting to heaven it's just a question of how long it takes to clean up the character defects that we have that we died with and so basically whenever we die you know we're faced with a judgment for either heaven or hell um, based on what we've made for ourselves here on earth and so um, as we as we talked about that a little bit then about the general about the particular judgment then we also talked about the general judgment being whenever God judges the entire human race every last person as to how we relate to each other throughout history and and even in the here and the now, and so we we kind of this sort of led in then to a discussion about economics and business and what it is that drives us as consumers. That as consumers we want the most bang for our buck. We want the the highest quality or the highest quantity at the lowest price. And also as investors, then we want the highest return on our investment. And we saw that that kind of puts business in a in a position to where they do they engage in business practices. A lot of people get up upset about. But I think that we have to recognize that we are the ones that are responsible for that. You know, we're the ones that drive people to take um, jobs in manufacturing overseas so that they can bring the products back to us at the lowest possible price, highest possible call, and still get the investment through the investor, the highest return on their investment. These are things that we, again, that we are brought upon ourselves. I also said at the beginning of the last segment that there is a word, and I was going to initially entitle this particular um, installment of Double-Edged Sword by this word, um, but I didn't because 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 I was afraid that when people were listening to the promos and stuff, they would go, Hmm, Father Fred's gonna talk about solidarity? And there's the word, folks, solidarity. And they would say, Well, I don't know, make up something else to do this time rather than listen to that. That doesn't sound very interesting. But I figured if you call it business, economics, and the last judgment, that's a little bit more interesting sounding, isn't it? Well, here's the whole thing with solidarity. And I think that you we can understand this in, in, in a fairly simple way. As I described, and again I think that you know you'd really have to do something to kind of prove me wrong on this, as I I described... When we look at our decisions as to how we're going to spend our money, capitalism, you can just kind of dollar spent as a vote, all right? That whenever we spend our dollars, if you're spending them on foreign goods or domestic goods, if you're spending it on cheap goods or high-end goods, whatever, you know, our dollar is our vote. And that's the vote that we're cast economy, and that vote decides elections. And the elections basically are the manufacturers going, well, if this is the way people are going to vote, if this is the way they're going to spend their money, here is what we're going to do so that we get that vote, so that we get the that dollar out of the consumer. Again, that's not wrong. There's nothing wrong with that. That's just the way business operates. And that's the way, you know, the competition in the marketplace among companies to, you know, try to get our dollars so that they can, you know, one company grow bigger than the other one. I don't see anything wrong. That's just healthy competition. But we also saw that as long as the only variables in the equation are the consumer wanting high quality or high and low price and the investor wanting high return on investment, if those are the only things we care about, then we've got what we've got. That is companies doing things that we get upset about ones that drove them to do it to begin with. Companies going overseas, manufacturing our shoes and our T-shirts and our underwear and things like that in factories on the other side of the world by cheap labor. And then we get all bent out of shape because they're exploiting the poor and things like that. When again, we are the ones who drove them to that to begin with. Now, when we talk about solidarity and Pope John Paul II talked about solidarity a lot. What is solidarity? Solidarity basically means giving a hoot about your fellow man. That's basically all it is. Solidarity is understanding that we are all in this together somehow. Now, the thing of it is, it takes, you know, someone with a kind of a spiritual vision and, um you know, someone with a with a Christ-centered vision to understand that my well-being here in Kansas is intimately tied up with the well-being of some 13-year-old girl in Malaysia or some, you know, 17-year-old boy in Guatemala or something like that. Um, we tend to think that, well, you know, I've got my little life here in the greater Ellis County Metroplex. And that's that. Well, no, it reaches way past that. It reaches actually not only through space, again, to other parts of the world, but it also reaches through time into the past into the future. Because remember, God sees all these things simultaneously. What we call past, present and future, God just sees as the eternal now. And so God understands better than anyone how we're all connected. And so when Pope John Paul II was teaching about solidarity, he was teaching us about this connectedness and how we all are connected. Connected, and so you can stop and think. If I really understand that my well-being and that my salvation is int- intimately tied up and intimately connected to again the, the 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 15-year-old girl in China who is putting together my cheap you know wiring together my cheap Chinese-made um, Christmas tree lights and so on that you know she and I you know I we are brother and sister in Christ. Well, that should matter to me. That should matter to all of us. And what solidarity would say? Solidarity would would say, all right. We have these variables that affect, you know, again, the voting of where things are gonna go. And I've talked about it, you know, a half a dozen times and I'll just mention it one more time, and we'll add solidarity to it. We've already decided that it's pretty clear that whenever we go to buy stuff, whenever we're gonna go to cast our economic vote in the marketplace, we're gonna spend our dollar that we know that we want the most for the least, we want the highest quality for the highest quantity for the least amount of money, and the investor wants the highest possible return on his investment. Solidarity would say, I also include in that equation the acceptance of my responsibility for my fellow man, for my brother and my sister in Christ. And if everybody understood that, and this is what we mean then when we talk about the need for global evangelization, because again, if you just kind of, you know, dream with me here for just a few seconds, imagine that if the entire world, we were all Christian believers, believed in Christ as the Messiah, as the Son of God, as the Savior of the universe, and we all knew that. The story of, for example, the rich man and Lazarus, you know, that whenever the rich man dined sumptuously each day and dressed in purple, while poor Lazarus had nothing to eat and starved death and the dogs would come and lick his sores. And then, you know, the rich man dies and Lazarus dies and the rich man is in hell for having disregarded Lazarus and Lazarus is off in heaven, you know, being held in the bosom of Abraham. All right. You've heard that story before. Well, you can imagine what if everybody in the whole wide world had heard that story? What if everybody in the whole wide world knew the story of Matthew twenty five. I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty, you gave me drink. I was a foreigner and you welcomed me, you guys go to heaven. I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, you gave me no drink. I was sick, you didn't take care of me, you guys go to hell. You know, if everybody heard that story, if we all knew that story from you know the magnates of the world, you know, from the the, the people that that have the power to decide where to where to build factories and where to buy the raw materials from, all the way down to the loading line worker, you know, working on the production line, putting together you know, cars or shoes or, you know, radios or stereos or computers or whatever, um, if everybody knew that story, then be able then to weave solidarity into our economic decisions. And that would mean, for example, that when I go to buy my pair of Nike tennis shoes, go back to Nike again, I would say, well, one of the things that I am willing to factor in to my economic decision is, yeah, I see here that um, my I know that all other things being equal, I could get this pair of Nike tennis shoes to use round numbers for a hundred bucks. But you know, I'm not going to complain spending $200 for them because I know that's necessary for the well-being of my fellow brothers and sisters, you know, in Christ who are sewing these shoes together. And then if I have some money to invest, I would say, well, you know, I know that all our things being equal, I could get a better return on my investment if Nike would use cheaper labor and, you know, and, and, and just be basically irresponsible as a, as a corporation using, you know, cheap, cheap labor and polluting the environment and things like that in the place where it's at, where where they're they're manufacturing. But since Nike also understands, you know, and all the people working for Nike are also brothers and sisters in Christ, they say, well, this is not what we're going to do. And I, as an investor, am willing to accept that lower return on investment. I, as an investor, am willing to accept that lower dividend. You see, that's what solidarity would be. And that's what Pope John Paul II talked about when he talks about, for example, solidarity with the poor. He's not, it doesn't mean that we all have have to go out and become poor people. It doesn't mean that at all. But what it means is is that factored into our, it, it, it would be naturally part of of our economic decision making. That when we go out to cast that economic vote, when we go out to spend that dollar, when we make our decisions as to again what we're going to spend and how we're going to spend it, we would be willing to factor into it automatically. We wouldn't have somebody telling us that we have to do it. We would automatically factor into it that factor of solidarity of how is it that whenever I spend this particular, when I make this particular purchase when I spend my money, you know, how is it that this is going to affect other people? And that I again I would be willing to pay a little bit extra. I would be willing to accept a little bit lower return on my investment so that I know that my brothers and sisters, either here at home or around the world, that they're all being treated fairly treated as as I would like, you know, as as Christ would we would like to see them to be treated. So again, I think when you look at that, it's not really the most difficult thing in the world to understand. I think that um you know when 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 we look at um at the way we see business and the way that it gets it gets portrayed on on television it's very it's very put very in a simple-minded way you know it's just like well there, there's those business owners there's those people that you know chomp on cigars and you know have the the, the fatty life they have their yachts and they they go on their european vacations and so on and um you know, they have the easy life while all their poor workers are down there on the line sweating and working in these terrible conditions and then then you know that's not right that that's not fair well you know that like any characterization um there might be a, there's a grain of truth to some of that, but that's not the entire truth that we, I think we, what we really have to understand and what no one really wants to take responsibility for is the fact that we as consumers are driving that particular system. Again, it's, it's one thing to to sit here, you know, sit here in Hayes, Kansas or wherever it is that we're at. It's one thing to sit back and go to our Peace and Justice Committee meeting or something and get all in a, in a, in a big stew about the way that we see, oh, well, you know, look at the way, you know, these poor people get treated as they mine gold or mine tin or copper or something you know these poor miners look how they're treated well yeah look how they're treated why are they treated that way because we as a consumer we want those minerals pulled out of the ground at the lowest possible cost and the people investing in that company they will return on investment how many of us would be willing to pay extra you know pay a little more for the goods that we buy that you know the computers and the readers and stuff that have copper and steel and stuff like that in them so that the people that mine these 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 minerals and the people that you know make the wire and make the sheet metal and so on could have a better life how many of us are willing to to accept a lower return on investment in our in our investments? Of course, during, the, during these, this day and age, and that's kind of a moot question, nobody's getting a good return on investment, but assuming the economy ever bounces back whenever people are investing again, um, are, would we be willing to accept that lower return on investment? That's what solidarity is. That's what John Paul II taught. We can see that solidarity requires global evangelization. It requires everyone to understand who Jesus is, to understand Jesus, to understand that in Christ, we are all brothers and sisters. Um, certainly with the baptized, I mean, St. Paul, you know, just rails, for example, on the Corinthians telling them, look, you know, you people, you, know, you Corinthians, you baptized Christians, it's one thing to deal with pagans. It's quite another thing when you're dealing with your, with your fellow Christian. And I think that's one thing that we have to look at as well. I mean, whether or not, you know, somebody on the other side of the ocean, you know, they might not be baptized. They might know about, they might not know about Jesus Christ at all. Well, you know, that's unfortunate. And that's a, that's a, again, that's a failing on our part for having failed to get missionaries up and get over there and get these folks evangelized, but at the same time, they still are our brothers and sisters in Christ. And much more so than when we're dealing with people here at home who are baptized, you know, our fellow baptized Christians, you know, those folks deserve our time and deserve our attention as well. But I think, again, if we, if we just care to reflect back on that basic formula of, you know, the, of what the, what the consumer demands, the consumer demands a low price, the, the consumer demands high quality quantity, and the, the investor wants to get a return possible on the investment. But in order to have truly just and Christian society, in order for us to have the kingdom of God be made manifest here on earth, one of the things that has to happen is have to factor in solidarity into those economic decisions. That's a very difficult thing to do. And because, again, I think what's going to happen when we get back to the general judgment, and this kind of brings us now full circle to what we were talking about in the first segment, when a general judgment, I wonder how many of us are going to have to answer to God. You know, if the God Almighty Father is going to call us in and call us on the carpet and say, look, you lived pretty well goods that were made at a very, very low price, and that you know, you, you know that if they'd have been made a decent wage and working in in, in in good conditions, and you know, having their their it cost you quite a bit more. And as it stood, you got off the hook. You know, you got off paying quite a bit less for it because somebody else gave quite a bit more. That is to say, they gave a lot of their of their labor and their work um, for a lot less money and for a lot less pay. I think that again at that, that at that general judgment, that's where it's all going to kind of hang in the balance, where the whole human race is judged. And though again, those of us who benefited disproportionately. Um, by the by, you know, people that were that were working for for you know substandard wages and things like that. God's going to call hold, hold us accountable for that. That's going to be part of that balance in the general judgment where God judges all souls simultaneously, you know, based on what we did in the flesh, whether for good or for evil, um, as Saint Paul says in two Corinthians five. And so I think that one that that's something that we should all be kind of thinking about. Now the thing it is kind of going, and well, Gee, what can I? Do? It's not like I can go to the store and have the choice of buying again my pair of Nike tennis shoes. Used, um, made in the United States, or even made overseas, you know, made by um, in, in factories that are safe and clean, and you know, not made by kids who should be in school, but you know, made by adults who are earning a living wage. You we do well. The fact is, folks, there really isn't much we can do, and we—I think we all know it. But I think that at the same time, we need to be at least conscious and aware of this, so that and, you know, in, in the future, when we when we are making um, when we are making those those economic decisions, when we're you know, voting with our dollars out there in the marketplace, hopefully, you know, we could kind of. Get to a point where all of us, we become more and more aware of this and more and more aware of the demands of solidarity, as Pope John Paul II taught us, as we become more aware of the demands of solidarity, then we can start bringing that to bear in the marketplace. Because the marketplace is neither good nor evil. It just is. And the marketplace reacts to the, the economic forces that we bring into it. And if the marketplace was all of a sudden convinced that the consumer doesn't really care about a certain, you know, a certain range, obviously, I mean, no one's going to ten thousand dollars on a pair of shoes but the but the consumer doesn't really matter um, it doesn't matter to the consumer within a certain range what they have to spend as long as they see the needs of solid- and the demands of solidarity being met the the manufacturers you know they'll bow to that in a heartbeat they don't have any trouble with that at all they don't really you know to them the, the important thing for them is you know, they can show a profit which is again as we saw in the last segment profit and they can keep their business going and hopefully keep it growing so again hopefully I think you know looking at this and you're looking at the at the net of the marketplace and the supernatural force of solidarity. I think that's where the where the cru- crux of the whole thing lies. The natural forces of the marketplace are very easy to understand, but as Christians, we are called to bring in the supernatural force, um, you know, the, the, for the force that would come to us in the Holy Spirit, um, the supernatural force of solidarity, of genuine care and concern and love for our, for our um, fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, no matter where they are, and no matter what faith or creed they happen to profess. So that pretty much wraps it up for this installment of Double-Edged Sword. Thanks again for tuning in, just want to remind you to visit our website at dv, that's V as in Victor, www.dvmercy.com. You can also call the station at 785-621-4110. If you go to our Divine Mercy website, there are archived installments of Double-Edged Sword, and also the One Body Program, both of which are locally produced by our Catholic radio stations here in Divine Mercy Radio. And those are there for you to peruse and listen to at your leisure if you wanna go pick up an older installment of one of those shows that you wanna listen to again. Also check out our donate button because um, there is where we depend on people's donations to keep us on the air and to keep the message going out to these Catholic airwaves. And so again, we thank you for tuning in to this installment of Double-Edged Sword here on Divine Mercy Radio, and we'll see you on the next time. Thanks for tuning in. Goodbye and God bless.